I'm sure like most of you, I, uh, I didn't start this 2017 thinking that this story would be our cultural uh, moment. Uh, and I suppose there's some good that's coming out of it uh, about this issue. But overall, um, from I think all parties involved on both sides or all sides, it's really kind of a depressing story, uh, really. But no matter how we look at it, I think it tells us something, why I take the chance of using it this morning, about the culture, the larger culture, that we are called to reach. And not only does it say something about the larger culture that we are called to reach, well, what does it say? I would say this, that in a sense, beyond even the issue of um, you know, sexual harassment, that's just one very sensitive, serious issue, it talks about kind of a conspiracy of silence in general about sin. Um, not only sin in the, in the culture that we live in, right, but even in our own lives as Christians. And I would say this not only tells us something, this story, we have to reflect on it. What does it say about our culture? It not only tells us something about the culture we're called to reach, but it also tells us something maybe about, ironically, how to reach this culture. The truth is, kind of a sobering truth, um, that we are called, all of us, regardless of what the sin struggles and challenges are in your life, this may not be your story, this may not be my story, but all of us are called to be silence breakers, right? That is to say, not only, to, not only to, to, to be honest about how we've experienced the brokenness of the world, there's not a person in this room who hasn't experienced the brokenness of this world in some way, maybe not this way, but every single person. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The sin of this world touches every single life. And we not only need to be honest about how we've experienced the brokenness in this world, but how that brokenness, if you're a Christian here this morning, has been healed by a genuine encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this morning's message, if you've been here for these weeks, the new hope, we talked about a new name, and this morning's message is titled, A New Calling, right? A new calling. This is what Christmas is about. God sent his son into the world. He broke into a sin-frozen, sin-challenged world to bring a sense of hope. And he says, as we'll see in this passage, as I have, the Father hath sent me, I am sending you. He's sending you and he's sending me to go into the world and share about what God has done with us. We're here to talk about Christmas. And Christmas is um, a great message. It's the message of the gospel. But God didn't send his son into the world uh, primarily to warm our hearts. That's some of what we experience at Christmas. He sent his son into the world to um, heal our hearts and to change our hearts. That's really what the Christmas message is about. And then he says to us, listen, go and tell other people. Not just that I love them, but how I have loved you. Right? This is what I want to talk about this morning. Have a copy of the Bible, John chapter 4. I will, I will summarize it because it's a familiar account 
John 4, 27 to 38, it's the story familiar of, we call it Jesus and the Samaritan woman or otherwise known as Jesus and the woman at the well. Jesus at the woman at the well. It's about Jesus meeting a woman whose whole life was a conspiracy of silence. But she meets Jesus and this conspiracy of silence is broken and it changes a lot of other lives around her. Now, I'm not going to read the story of Jesus' long discussion with this woman. I'm going to pick it up in the latter part of the story where Jesus tries to tell the disciples what this encounter really means, which is where you and I, I think, gain the application. John 4, verse 27, middle of the story here. Follow along. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. They had gone to get something to eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, what's he talking about, right? Could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look to the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap where you have not, where, what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. If we desire to be faithful to the calling that we have been given by Jesus as Christians, we must learn to adopt the way of Jesus for our own context. That's my point this morning. We need to adopt the way of Jesus. I think this passage uh, is, is here for a reason and it tells us about how Jesus models sharing our faith. And the first thing that this passage tells us is we need to be committed to going to new places with your faith, right? You need to be committed to going to new places with your faith. Now I won't, you, don't have, you can read this whole story, many of you know it, but the Jewish people including all of the disciples of Jesus, they did not go to Samaria, right? I mean, uh, that was something they avoided. They had great animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. Some of you know the reasons behind this. It had to do with, had to do with compromise and heresy and impurity, and they avoided them all the time. In verse 4, we didn't read it, but the disciples, they just kind of do what Jesus says, even though they question it. But they, it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. That's what John 4.4 4 says. Now, the truth is he didn't have to go there, right? Because there's a plan, there, not only is there more than one way to get to Galilee where they were headed, but all of the Jews had a very well-worn path, a little bit north of Jerusalem, a hard right over the Jordan River, and then up alongside the east bank of the Jordan River, and then back over to Galilee. It was a well-worn route. It's what Jews did all the time on purpose to avoid the people that they didn't want to have contact with. 
So what this passage is telling us, right, Jesus doesn't do it without intentionality, is he went there, he didn't stumble there, he went there on purpose, right? He went there on purpose. And he finds himself in what seems like a compromising situation, one that brings his disciples, you know, uh, raises their eyebrows, and maybe yours and mine too, if you were uh, uh, originally reading this document. He does that on purpose to make a point, okay? If, if we're honest here this morning, I think we would say that there are dozens of places that we don't go, that we can go, or that we go and we don't linger there in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our schools, in around different people, in the lunchroom. We don't go there because we don't wanna go there, right? But my, what I wanna say to you is this. If you or I don't plan to go out of your way, and I don't just mean geographically, like take a different road home, but I'm talking about emotionally, right? If you're not making a commitment, you're gonna go somewhere in your sharing about what God has done. If you're not gonna go further, then don't expect to see anybody be impacted with the gospel because of your life or because of my life, right? What people need to know is not simply the facts. Here it is. It's like I take it out of a, off the shelf and say, here's the three facts about the gospel. Jesus died and, uh, and he rose the third day. That's important. But what they need to know is how those facts intersected the brokenness of your life. It's called a testimony. And then you got their attention, right? That's what Jesus is saying. If you and I are not willing to go to new places with your faith in our hearts, then I can almost guarantee that you or I are not going to see anybody moved with the message of the gospel. This is what Christmas is all about, by the way. As I said, God sent his son into the world not simply to warm our hearts, that's true, but to change them. You know, when Joseph gets this dream, just to make, an, uh, 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 make sure you, you know I'm, I'm speaking the truth here, when, when Joseph first finds out, Matthew 1, that his, uh, the love of his life, the woman he's engaged to, imagine, put yourself in this situation, it's only happened once in all of history, and you find out that the love of your life is pregnant, and you know it's not your child, how heartbreaking, how heart-wrenching, how devastating would that be, right? Joseph finds, this is real life, he finds out. And Joseph, because he's a man of character, some people would say, would, make a, would embarrass her, would, 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 would make, a, would make a, a, an object lesson of her, would, would throw her out, kind of, in a manner of speaking. It said this, Matthew chapter one. Joseph, because he was a good man, a lawful man, he decided he was gonna put her away privately, discreetly. He didn't wanna make a big deal out of it. He's just gonna do this in a quiet way. And then he had a dream because you'd have to have a vision from God in a situation like this, right? No one's gonna say, well, you know, she's, um, she's pregnant but not because she had relations with a man. Who's gonna buy that? Raise your hand, okay? <laughs> so no one's buying that. So the angel comes to him the voice of God and says, listen, Joseph, I respect your anxiety. I respect your, your deep hurt. Let me tell you something. Number one good news, Mary did not have a relationship with another man. She didn't. She's as honorable as you've known her to be. She is right now with the child, get ready for it, the Holy Spirit. Imagine that. And that's not the end. Now, I want you to call him Jesus which means he saves. We'll sing about that in a minute. Because why? Because he will 
make people's hearts feel warm. He will bring an extra dose of sunshine to the world. No, he will save people from their sins. Guys, this is what the Christmas message is about. Nothing more, right? He sent his son into the world to save people from their sins. And the people in my community and the people in your community, they need to know not just the ABCs of the gospel, they need to know how God has saved you from your unique sins, right? In that sense, we all need to be uh, silence breakers. I told you, some of you, uh, last week, I decided my small little effort this year was to have a party. I just moved into a new neighborhood. Invite my neighbors. And I did invite some friends. It was this past Friday night. And four of my five immediate neighbors uh, came, which was amazing. And it was so funny, though. The, the first one came was probably my closest neighbor in the sense I've known her the longest. And she came, and my sister, who was kind of my helper, and we sat in my living room for about 40 minutes, like... This ain't going so well, all right? <laughs> so there's some risk. But you know what? Eventually, my house was full of people. Four of my five neighbors came. Only one, the one who came, the first one, um, knew of these immediate neighbors, not the friends, that I was a Christian. It didn't come up. But when the party was all over, people were leaving one by one. This one guy who was probably the first guy I got to know across the street, he looked at me, he's putting his coat on, and he said, hey, he said, you didn't tell me you were a pastor. <laughs> I said, well, you know, uh, it's not usually my opening line, you know. <laughs> but, I, I, but he seemed to have a good time, and I reached out my hand to shake it, and he goes, huh? So what, what am I saying to you guys? It, 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 am I saying that all these four people, or these people are, you know, they're all gonna march one by one into a personal relationship with Jesus? You know what? I have no idea. But it's a start. It's a start. And my hope is that that little conversation will lead to some other conversations and it's, the day is going to come where he's going to say, tell me, Rob, how has God changed your life? Right? That's what people really want to know. We need to go to places that we haven't gone with our faith. Second thing, heart of this message, we need to get that we learn from Jesus. We need to get personal, right? We need to get personal, are you personal in your relationship with others? Am I, what does that mean? As I said, you know, Jesus, they're marveled. It, 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 this passage says they were surprised, but the other version will say they were marveled, right? Yet, let me say something about this woman. We don't even know her name. We call her the woman at the well. She is the first person, at least in John's gospel, that Jesus chooses to ultimately reveal himself, Right? If you read carefully, chronologically, John's gospel, it's not James, it's not John, it's not the religious leaders. The first, because remember, Jesus was very careful about his self-revelation. Many times he said he would, come, come, uh, he, would, he would perform a miracle. He said, listen, don't tell anybody what I said. Don't share this. And you say, why would Jesus be so um, you know, cautious about sharing that he helped somebody? And he did this, we come to understand, because he knew that if he got too popular too soon, they would arrest him. He, well, sooner than he needed, they would stop short his ministry. And he had an agenda to accomplish so much preaching and teaching before he ultimately was going to die on a cross. So he would say to people, don't say anything. But to this person, the one person that he chooses to reveal himself before anybody else is this unnamed woman. And second, if you read the whole chapter, which we didn't, 
you'll find out that this is the longest private conversation that Jesus has with anybody, at least in a recorded sense, in the New Testament. Did he have long conversations with the disciples? I'm sure he did. But the longest recorded conversation that we have 2,000 years later in this thing we call the Bible is not with James, it's not with John, it's with an unnamed woman who nobody wanted anything to do with. Not only did she have a questionable, messy personal life, even a messy sex life that Jesus talks about, but she was of the wrong class and of the wrong race. But let me tell you something, Jesus did it on purpose. Because not only did Jesus reveal things about himself over the course of this very long conversation, but he also got to know about the most shameful secrets that came to define her life. Why was Jesus, you know this, Why was he meeting her at the middle of the day by herself at the well? Because all the other women went in the morning. But the other women wanted nothing to do with this woman. And Jesus meets her there. Jesus gets personal. And and she's there because this shame in her life had come to define her life, even the way she lived it everyday life. Truth is, guys, every one of us has sin in our lives, right? Think, well, that's not a great Christmas message, okay? It's gonna get better, okay? Every one of us has sin in our lives, and in that sense, every single one of us has secrets. Maybe not as egregious as some of the ones that are being uh, unfortunately celebrated in our culture today, but all of us have them, but we go to great lengths, and so does our culture, to avoid those secrets for obvious reasons because when they become public, they go from bad to worse. One verse, just turn a page over if you have a Bible, in the middle of the long discussion with Jesus and the religious leader Nicodemus. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. It's an obvious The reason people don't want to enter into a real conversation about what's really going on, well, who wants to? I don't want to get to the point and tell you why I really don't go to church, why I really don't read the Bible, why I really don't want to talk about sin because I have enough time. It's hard enough to deal with the shame that I have. I don't want to share my shame with you, right? But what this happens with, and I would say this, but what happens with this woman, right? Jesus doesn't only hear the most shameful parts of her life, He doesn't exacerbate her shame. He doesn't go from bad to worse. He forgives her sin, right? She can go and say, come, I want to introduce you to a man who knows everything there is to know about me and now, read between the lines, and didn't judge me and instead forgave me and it changed my life. This is what that means to be, uh, uh, to get personal and to share the gospel. You know, uh, I think the reason more people are not here this morning in general, I'm talking about in our culture, in a church service, more people are not willing to have conversations with you is for one reason. It's because they believe that the church and you is all about judgment. There's guys that wrote a book, it was... um, Five years ago, these two smart young Christian uh, writers and thinkers went and talked to all these people who were non-Christians. And they said, we want to know what you think about the, the, the church of Jesus Christ. In the book, you can read it, it's called Unchristian. They had these 10 reasons why people out there in the culture don't go to church. You know what the number one reason was? Because the people in churches are judgmental. That's why. I don't want to go to a place where all I'm going to do is experience. Now, here's what I would say about Browncroft Community Church. We're not perfect. My belief is 
This, it's not true of this church. I don't think this church is judgmental. In the vast majority of the people that I know in this church and in this room, I don't think that you are judgmental either. But here's the point. Unless you open up your life, unless you open up your mouth, unless you talk to people, they're going to assume that you are. That's my point, right? You got to get personal. And people need to know not only that God loves you and that you've been forgiven, but uniquely how have you been forgiven? How has God touched your life? Imagine one of these friends I met in my neighborhood this week. If I had them over and we sat down, I said, they said, tell me about your life, Robin. I said, let me tell you about me. Uh, Joe, just making this up, his name's not my, no, I don't have a neighbor named Joe. But, uh, you know, I, I have, uh, I, never say a, I never say a four-letter word, ever. I never think a bad thought. I never watch a dirty movie. I never speed. I wear pajamas, you know, whatever the case may be, okay? <laughs> I do all the, now, if that was the case, imagine how warm would you, was that the kind of person you'd want to be around? If it, I would imagine if I did that, I can almost guarantee that'd be the last time that person came over my house. <laughs> Nobody can stand being around. But that's what they think about you and they think about me until you open your mouth and say, well, now that you've asked, you know what? I got a lot of... Um, the reason I'm a Christian is because I have failed, I have sinned, I have struggles. But Jesus Christ... Let me come tell, tell you about a man who knows everything about me, but he forgave me of my sin, right? You gotta get personal. You gotta get personal. I gotta get personal. There's nothing more attractive than, um, there's no more attractive evangelist, I should say, than someone who has newly discovered Jesus as their savior. That's what this woman's example is, right? Why is that? Because someone who's newly discovered Christ, some of us have to think hard about it, they're, they're much closer to their forgiveness than you and I are, right? That's what people need to know. And some of us have just grown so distant. The gospel's become so distant in our life that we've, we, we've, we've failed to live in a, with a day-in and day-out appreciation of what God has done for us, and we need to get back there because that's what people are interested in. We need to go places we haven't gone before in our faith. We need to get personal. And, and finally, in the end of this passage, we need to start expecting results, right? That's what this passage is about. It's interesting. It's meant to be um, ironic. It's even meant to be provocative that the person who really comes to understand the true mission of Jesus and becomes an agent of the advancement of that vision is not the disciples, which is you and me. It's supposed to be a sort of a, a slap in the face, a, wake, a, a cold water in the face. They say, Jesus, you know, we want you to have something to eat. And Jesus is like, listen, open your eyes, right? Verse 35, my food, he's using this as an analogy. You want to know what really motivates me, what really gets me going, what I'm really about, what is my real hunger? It's about seeing people who are far from God, who feel unwelcome, who feel like the church doesn't want anything to do with them, who feels like God has forgotten them. It's pe seeing people like that come to know the grace of God for the first time, like this woman. That's the point of the passage. This is why I've come. And this woman gets it. 
She understands that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No one except Jesus get, is, 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 is sinless. We all have places where the grace of God comes into our lives, even you, even me as Christians. And it's when we get real about those things that we get personal that people get interested, right? That's what Jesus is trying to say to these guys. And this discussion here in the middle of uh, verses 34 through 38, when he's all this, you know, sowing and reaping, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, in the natural world, there's a, there, there's a, there's a, there's a certain, you know, economy that takes place, a certain natural law that says there's those who sow, and let's talk about agriculture because that's this society. We could use different analogies. And we have to sow, and we have to plant, and we have to water, and we have to weed, and this takes many, many months, and eventually there's a harvest. Isn't there a saying in your culture that says, you know, there's four months and then the harvest? Because Jesus says, when we're talking about a spiritual harvest, which is his real subject... It's the woman and the people in her town. She said, the math is different. The, the sower and the reaper, they merge. Why is that? Don't miss this point. Verse 38. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work. What Jesus is saying is, listen, guys, girls, students, this is... The hard work of spiritual transformation, it's already been done. It's already been done by Jesus himself. He sent, he, he, he sit to save his people from their sins. He came into the world. He did what none of us could do. He died on a cross as a sacrifice for the sin of the world. And he rose from the dead with, with a great message that says, listen, whoever you are, I don't care who you are, I don't care how far you are from God, I don't care what, what your background is, I don't care what, what culture you're from, what the color of your skin is, I don't care if people in the world think you're the scum of the earth or the greatest thing ever, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and I have come for you. And I've already accomplished it, right? What he's saying to his disciples is, listen, you're working too hard, you're thinking too hard. The hard work is done for you. All you need to do is to get to, is to reacquaint yourself with what God has done in your life. Look at this woman. She's fresh out of the oven, so to speak. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did, which is an overstatement, but what she means by that was she was so impressed that Jesus was... Um, could listen to the messy parts of her life and not judge her and forgive her. She was so impressed by that. She said, you guys got to come and meet this guy. And in the, in, in the last part of this passage, right, verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, now underline this, because of the woman's testimony. Now, eventually, they meet Jesus. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, that's Jesus, many more became believers. So ultimately, it's not my words that change someone's life. It's not your words that change someone's life. Listen, Jesus is the only one who can save. Jesus has done the hard work. But the first step, very often is the sharing of your testimony, right? Many of the Samaritans from that town believe because of, so why is this passage in the Bible? Why is this a most 
unbelievable, last person you'd ever expect to, for us to be talking about, you know, the bottom of the ladder in Jesus' culture become, because he's trying to make a point. He's saying, listen, if this woman who had nothing to celebrate about her own life, who was nothing but um, a lot of shame and uh, was avoiding everybody, if this woman can simply go back to the people in her life and say, let me tell you what God has done in my life, you can do it, right? I can do it. The hard work has been done. So we're gonna have the, this, uh, these musicians come back out. We're gonna sing a song about this very process that only Jesus can save. But let me, let me just challenge you guys, right? He came to save people from their sins. Those are not my words. Those are the Bible's words. That's what the Christmas story is about. But you know what? It's an amazing story. It brings joy. It brings new life. It brings new hope. And all we need to do, right, is be willing not just to know the facts, but to break our own silence, right? You know what God, what God has done in my life? The remedy's the same. The 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 sacrificial atonement of the blood of Jesus. His, he, he died in my place. The remedy is the same, but the unique way that God has brought about my forgiveness, it's different than your life. It's different than the people next to you, right? We all, it's because of her testimony that many believed. And what people need to know is how God has changed your life so that through that testimony, you might point them to the one who can change theirs. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us as we get ready to sing. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for everyone in this room. Lord, we thank you for the amazing grace that you have given to us in Jesus, not only in his birth, which brought joy, but in his resurrection that brought new life. And Lord, I just pray for us as a congregation as we go out imperfect as we are into this world, into our homes and in schools and offices. Lord, help us to see that you've done the hard work. You have gone before us and you are in the world today actively um, seeking to save the lost. Help us, Lord, to open our eyes, to open our, our hearts, to be willing to break our own silence uh, about what you have done in our lives so that others might come to experience for themselves firsthand your grace and your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.